When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Lockbox, a podcast providing real estate professionals with action items for success. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I'm going to be your host. I'm the founder of two real estate marketing and tech companies, Steezy.Digital and RealNurture.io. In this podcast, you'll learn from top 1% real estate and mortgage brokers the exact secrets to their success. Welcome to Lockbox. Welcome to Lockbox. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I am here today with Jen Duplessis. Jen, thank you so much for being with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, my pleasure. So tell our listeners who you are, where you're from. Oh, great. Well, my name is Jen Duplessis, and I'm from Northern Virginia. That's where I'm currently um, located. And uh, actually, I've been here for 30 years. So I consider this to be home now. That's where I'm calling. That's where I'm from. So Amazing. And, you know, you, you've done a lot in the real estate industry. And you currently, you are offering coaching and masterminds, and you're helping tons of people. I mean, even outside the real estate industry. But yeah. I would love to focus first on, you know, what got you into the real estate industry in the beginning, because this is primarily a real estate podcast. And a lot yeah. of my listeners are real estate agents or real mortgage loan officers that are trying to, you know, hit that next level. So yeah. what was that story of that, that first exposure to the power of real estate? <laughs> Yeah, I know it's pretty. It's a it's a pretty fun story because I was actually um, going to Colorado State University. That's where I'm originally from. Colorado State is pre med. I was going to be a cardiologist, and then I changed into architectural design and construction engineering, and tried to find a job. You know, in the architecture world, even today, it's difficult. But especially for a woman, I was the only woman in the class, and of sixty seven of us, and uh, so I couldn't find a job. And I ended up going to a job placement thing and they were going to send me to a mortgage company and a, and a uh, bank. And I knew percent, but I only knew 50% off, <laughs> right? It was something I had no idea. So the rest is history. I, I just kind of stumbled in it and, you know, it loved me and I loved it. And, you know, 39 years later, you know, I was in the top 200 loan officers several times, uh, you know, funded over a billion dollars in loans. And now I share how to accomplish that, you know, with re- um, loan officers as well. So that's the story. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So you, you actually were getting into like a different aspect, architecture and, and kind of the building side of real estate and stumbled into the, the finance sector and the mortgage side. Yeah. And it's so funny because my dad is a, cl- a class A contractor. He's also an architect. And he said, well, you can come work for me. I said, no, I don't want to do that. But it was fun because I was able to design their home. 
And the closest I ever got to anything architecture was when I was, you know, I received an appraisal and I could look at the plans, <laughs> right? And that was about as close as I ever got to it. <laughs> so Yeah. Absolutely. My father was a a commercial plumbing contractor. So he would go, you know, when there's like a new hospital being built and it's still a dirt lot. And I remember as like a 16 year old working with him a couple summers and like, it's just a dirt lot. And the backhoes had dug the trenches from the, the water right. mains and he had to, you know, set the pipes and make sure that, that they were pressure tested and perfect. The electrical goes in and then they set the foundation and like, nothing could go wrong, right? Like if, if right. there's like some major leak or something below, like he's on the hook for that. And I remember yeah. smelling the blueprints, the smell oh, yeah. of the ink and, yeah. and it'd be spread on the, on the dinner table. Like th that, that really was a formative experience for me on the construction yeah. side. So I see why you were attracted to that side first. Um, but kind of similar to you, I then found my, my way through actually the marketing and the sales side of the real estate. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah it's funny. And journey. none of us go to school for this, right? We all just stumble upon it. So, yeah. right, right. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm sure you teach some of these in your coaching. And I'm very curious to learn the single most important action you take on a daily basis that has attributed most to your success. You do have like a single success habit that you just point back to and you're like, this is, oh my gosh, this is that's the a, thing. That's a really, really good question because, you know, I normally answer that as I took action, <laughs> right? The fact that I actually took action. I think that, and we'll probably talk about this a little bit more, but, but uh, it all starts with clarity and then intentional work as opposed to eating soup with a fork. You know, a lot of people in the real estate and mortgage space and, and really in sales generally, they eat soup with a fork. You know, they, they just think that they should be doing the activities because they saw someone else or someone once told them and, you know, they're just not intentional. So I would say if it's not any specific activity, it's the fact that I live through intention. And, you know, I'm very, very specific about what I do on a daily basis to move the needle on anything I'm up to. Hmm. Interesting. So do you mind if we dive a little deeper in that? No, not at all. Not at all. So you're saying uh, eating soup at the fork. So that you, what you mean there is someone sees someone, you know, motioning their arm as an analogy and, and you know, putting a, a utensil into their mouth and they say, oh, I'm going to go do that same action. But because they're eating it with a fork, it's letting, you know, most of it drain out and it's not getting the same result. Right. Is that, right. so that's what you mean by like watching someone else do something and rinse and repeating, but not doing yeah. it with the same intention? Yeah. And a lot of times it doesn't align with you either. You know, I think what happens is it's doing activities for the sake of activities. And they, you, mm. at the end of the day, you're exhausted because all you've done is tried to get more and more into your body. Right. And so you're not fulfilled as a person and you're not full financially. Right. Uh, because you're doing all these activities that keep you busy. It's sort of the glorification of busyness that we all have. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, I've seen situations where someone rolls up into their car and they have poinsettias in the back of their car and everyone says, what are you doing? The poinsettias? Oh, I'm delivering to my clients. So then they hop in the car and they go get poinsettias and then the poinsettias die in their car because it didn't align and they didn't have it intentional about who they were going to deliver it to. Does that make sense? And that yes. happens all the time, all the time. It's not intentional, on purpose, laser focused work. Mm. Okay. So I have a, a follow up question then. So, what advice should a real estate agent or a mortgage loan officer ignore in order to get to that next level? It seems like ignore. there are things to pay attention to, and then it seems yeah. like there's things to ignore. 
That's a great question. No one's ever asked me that question. That's awesome. Uh, what should they ignore? Uh, listening to their manager or their broker <laughs> owner telling them, you just got to get out there and make calls, got to get out there and make calls, make calls. Because unless you have intention for doing it, or you know who you're going to talk about with the clarity of your message, what aligns with you, who your target market is, what your niche is, then you're just spinning your wheels. It's not worth it. Hmm. So I would say, you know, it's not about the busy work. So don't don't listen to someone say, you got to be out there. You got to be out there all the time. You got to be in front of everybody. You know, in marketing or not marketing, but even in networking, you know, I have a lot of little animals that I think that to me, that's a skunk, right? You've been in that networking where someone comes up and you're like, oh God, Ugh, because all they do is they're scrambling. Right. And so I would say, don't listen to someone saying, just get out there. I would say, Yes, get out there, but be intentional at what you're doing to get out there before you go out there and waste your time. Hmm. Yes, I would relate that to a, a story of when I offered sales consulting for a startup right out of college. They really valued the experience that I had from from going through the Cutco sales process and being successful in that environment. And I was referred by a friend. So at 23, there I am offering sales consulting <laughs> to a startup. And, <laughs> right. and I, uh, this is actually how I learned branding. It was a branding agency. And so I dove in and learned their process and I learned how they were selling. And then I ended up totally, you know, figuring it out, reinventing the sales process. I recruited one of my buddies and he said, Hey, I want to shadow you. I want to see like the call, how you're doing calls, this and that. And so he did, you know, he, sh this is early. He was across the country. This is early video meeting, like 2014 stuff where right. Zoom was not as popular as it is today. Right. right? But we're, <laughs> right. we're, we're meeting over like go to meeting or something like that. And, and, uh, he's like, you're not making many calls, you know, and, and he commented on the, la the lack of volume. Yeah. And the reason why I was doing a lower volume is because I had figured out that in this particular sales process, it was far a far greater leverage of time to mm -hmm. contact school districts rather than individual schools because they were rebranding right. K through 12 schools. But I realized it's just as much effort to get the superintendent of a single school as it is to get the superintendent of a district of six, 12, 80 schools. Right. So right. if I have to go through the same amount of gatekeepers and the same amount of trouble to get to someone that could potentially do a project of 80 brandings rather than one, yeah. I'm going to do this, the, the first one, right? The, the former that's higher leverage. However, I need to prepare a little bit more for that call. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think, I, I definitely think, you know, and especially now and, and, and well, I was going to say, especially now in today's market, because there's so much competition, uh, we don't have time. We don't have time to go out and just onesie twosie everything. It's now it's one to many, one to many. And you can pick from the litter, you know, of who you want to work with using body language skills, right? And uh, face reading skills, if you have those as well, because I can read people's faces and know how they act and how they how they function, right? And it's it's all of these skills and these tools that we have that have been sitting in this toolbox and they're just gathering all kinds of dust on them because it was so easy right? For a period of time. And we've been in that operational mode and things are changing now. So one to many is a great way, you know, to present to a group of people, to network, to sponsor a networking thing. So you can stand for five or 10 minutes and assess and let people come to you because they were excited about what you said, instead of just taking so much time to get out there and try to, you know, onesie twosie it. So I love that strategy because it's a top-down strategy. It's the same thing. 
and isn't video the same thing as well? You put Webinars. a video out there to market, right? <laughs> yeah. Do a webinar and right. you let people raise their Facebook. hand to come to you. Yeah. Or do a Facebook and, you know, and have them come to you. It's a law of attraction, you know, as opposed to us chasing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned things are changing. I mean, even not in the real estate industry, the way that we buy cars is being fundamentally shifted by companies like Tesla, where you already know you want it. You maybe go test drive it. Maybe you don't. You put in a credit card deposit for a hundred bucks and they literally assemble your car for you and deliver it to your house a week later, a month later, two months later, depending on their current manufacturing workload. And consumers are number one, okay with that. Number two, love missing out on the three to four hour dealership nightmare of trying to get <laughs> right. talked into a car that you may or may not want and right. getting financing lined up on the spot and all this stuff. Like they have eliminated all of that and made the, the car buying experience infinitely better. And so in, yeah. in that world, in that type of environment, and a lot of technology creeping into the real estate space, you mentioned things are changing and this one-to-many messaging. I'm just curious where you think things are heading. And of course, how mortgage loan officers, real estate professionals can set themselves up for success. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, definitely the one-to-many. I, I think, you know, just to piggyback on that, that's a self- um, disqualification modality by the consumer. And it's a disqualification modality by us because we're seeing the body language or seeing how they're responding, the naysayers are on their phone or whatever. And so as a result of that, um, I think it's faster. We're faster to the, the sales point, you know, to the sales stage to answer your question about the market. Um, I'm super excited about it. First of all, statistically, we have more uh, millennials in the market right now and about ready to get into the market. There are 27 to 35 years old than we ever had with baby boomers. And we thought that was a great market. This market is primed for this. Um, statistically, and I have all kinds of charts and stuff, but statistically, I mean, some reports just came out from some economic guys um, that are associated with the White House. And, um, you know, is that we have 33 million of these people that are in this category right now and purchases are going to be higher than they ever, ever, ever have been historically. So we're walking into one of the best opportunities we've ever seen, regardless of what's happening with interest rates. So that's, you know, I think number one is just the demographics of what we're seeing. Number two is our economy is on fire. We all hate paying more for gas. We hate all these things, but we aren't stopping because the economy is so good, unemployment is so low that we have so many problems, you know, finding people, you all know it, when you go to the restaurant, you have to be a little more patient, right? So we've seen the demographic, we've seen, uh, you know, the economy being in its in its best phase. And then I would say uh, rents, rents just came out the other day, rents are up 12.9% in the last month, 14% year over year. So renting is not the option. And so what we're seeing now is that the buyers are going to continue to be there. It's still going to be an influx. We're still going to have um, relatively low inventory. But thankfully, we are um, getting unmasked, coming out of our homes. And these baby boomers who have the children who are the millennials, these baby boomers are now saying, okay, now I need to make the change. I need to move. So that's going to stir up more inventory. And so I think we're going to see some more inventory as we come into spring. And if you ever see on a graph, you know, we're already on the uptick. It's typical for January, February, March to be low, but it starts upticking. So this is the time 
to get your ducks in a row, get them in a row. And I feel like it's this, if you're not willing to grow, it's time to go because mm-hmm. this is where we're at right now. Yep. I like that. And so with that being said, setting up for future success, getting ducks in a row, what does that mean for the, the agent or the mortgage loan officer in 2022? Yeah. <laughs> Just stop doing what you used to do. <laughs> It's not going to work, right? I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago speaking to 500 loan officers at their their sales rally, and you know, and there were they had two panels, right, or one panel. But on one side they had tenured people who had done good numbers, and the other side they had rookies, right? And when you ask the questions like, "What did you do last year versus what are you going to do this year?" the tenured people said, "I'm getting back to basics." Okay, and I'm going to talk about that. The new people said, well, I analyzed what worked last year. And now that it works and I've got it, set it and forget it. Now I'm going to add on and do something different. So if they were doing social media, now they're going to do relationship building. If they were doing relationship now, maybe they'll do social media or something else. I'm telling you, I mean, it just struck a chord with me when the tenured people said, I'm going back to basics. You should never, ever have to go back to basics. Basics are basics. All the time, the foundation of your practice, whether you're doing great business or low business, basics are the key to it. So if you left basics, you're probably going to have to go back to some of them. But I would say when I say don't do what you've been doing, it's get out of the operational part because we've all been in operation for two years. And we just sit there and it's about getting transactions through and helping families close on on, um, houses and loans. We're so ingrained in the operation that it became a habit. So we have to switch that habit and get out and create relationships. And I think the number one way is to get clarity on what you are, who you are, not, not what you do who you are, and then get clarity on your niches so that you can elevate yourself to be the master of that so that you aren't selling everything to everyone, not selling anything to anyone. Mm, Very important. I love how you talked about niching down as well at the end there. I mean, super important to become an expert and niche down, focus on, you know, a hyper-local area, a a hyper-local product set of the real estate industry. And you mentioned before the podcast that, you know, you have had a 30 plus year career on the mortgage side, you're doing coaching, you, know, you have a mastermind, you have a lot of things going on. And today you still are in the mortgage in- industry on the non-QM area. And yeah. I find that area fascinating because, oh, you know, jumbo loans in California, like everything's over a million bucks out here, right? Yeah. And and then you, you also have like self-employed stuff where, you know, there's, there's these high net worth entrepreneurs that can totally approve if they were a W-2, but because they have so much more to prove through a conforming loan, it just becomes more difficult. And I think it's a really interesting realm. So yeah. I don't know if you want to talk at all about any of that. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be speaking at the non the national non-QM conference in June um, in LA. And so it's it's really, really exciting. In fact, non-QM has been something I've worked with for almost, oh, I'd say probably 15 years. As a real estate investor myself, I had bled through the number of properties you can own. Right. And so I immediately went to the local bank and said, well, I need a commercial loan because that's where everyone gets told to go uh, when you exceed Fannie and Freddie guidelines and went there. And that was awful. And I thought, gosh, there has to be a better way. And everyone said, yeah, there's private money and there's hard money. Well, that wasn't what I was looking to do as an investor. So I started looking around and I actually found this black hole. I, you know, so it's like a secret. Well, we call it the real estate investors black book because nobody really knows about it. 
And it became my niche, that jumbo and VA. And because I could speak their language, right? I can speak investor language and get out of the emotional aspect of it. And I love the complexity of jumbo loans, not uh, the complexity in the form of bad credit and stuff, but the complexity of creating wealth for people. Mm-hmm. And uh, that just became my thing. And so when I retired from origination and lending and became a full-time speaker and coach and, and all that, uh, I didn't want to lose that aspect of what I had learned uh, so that none of my coaching clients could say, well, you're not in it. Well, yes, I am. I'm in it every day. So I kept the relationships with my realtors, but I twisted that around and said, I'm not a traditional lender. I'm going to be the lender of last resort. And I'm okay with that. You can't get your loan through normal things and you come to me and I'm going to take care of them, which is so weird because I never was like that as an originator. And, uh, you know, it's been fantastic. And especially through COVID because so many business owners lost money. They they couldn't show it on paper, but these are all equity loans. Um, statistically, the credit scores are only 12 points below an 800. I mean, a like a jumbo 80%, you know, 820 credit score. Uh, they performed better during COVID, believe it or not. And I think it just opens up opportunities. And for real estate agents, it's, you know, you are a real estate agent. That doesn't mean you're only a first time home buyer, condo or move up buyer. You know, you should be doing commercial. You should be doing mixed use. You should be looking at every possible way that you can create real estate opportunities for people to grow wealth. I love that. And the openness of, yes, niche down, however, it really is this all-encompassing license to do so much. My goodness. And, you know, I couldn't agree more. I got my real estate license after being an investor for 10 years or more and and being on the marketing side for four years. And so I came into it with so much industry knowledge that it was very tempting for me to just dive in on the residential side and hit the ground running. But instead, I actually chose commercial because it was a little bit newer to me. And I had also gotten a recent client who showed me the power of multifamily. How, you know, if as an investor, if you do carpets (laughs) and paint on a single family residence... Well, you have one rent that goes up by a hundred bucks, but if you do carpets and paint on a 15 unit residence, well, you just increased by 75 or hundred bucks on 15 times 12 months times a 16 to 18 time multiplier. Now yeah. you just made 300 grand in a year on a simple flip. Like it just, all of a sudden I'm like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, uh, again, that's and, one to many. Yeah. And, and it was exciting. It was yeah. a little more exciting to me than, than the residential yeah. side. It was something new to learn as well. So I dove in on, yeah. on the multifamily commercial side. I'm very glad that I did. But just yeah, to your point, yeah. you know, I do a lot of syndicate um, financing for that. I mean, not syndicate financing, but a lot of syndicate um, investing right now. And then, um, you know, and yes, that's the kind of financing that non-QM is, is it takes you all the way up to, you know, multiple, multiple unit properties and really all the way down to a condo too. The key that I do now is that I only do investor. That's it. I don't do any owner occupied in the non-QM. That's also why I like commercial. has owner occupied, but I don't do it. I love talking to investors after being an investor for so long. I I love like being on the phone and just (laughs) talk about numbers and talk about, oh yeah, yeah." you know, the guy has like a thousand doors in Orange County and he's like, yeah, "Yeah, I I just sold my Ferrari. I had to have it shipped to Oregon so I wouldn't pay sales tax. And then, you know, this dealer in Newport is like, hey, you want to make some money? And, you know, I made two million on that. And just having those kinds of conversations, it's so much more elevating 
to me and inspiring than having conversations on the residential side. They're super emotional. And I've seen so many of my clients go through on, on you know, a daily basis. Yeah. So for me, I, I chose that commercial route, which opens yourself up to so many. There's like eight main sectors of commercial and I'm only in one like multifamily, right? But land, industrial, mixed use, retail, like there's so much more Storage, out there. Airbnb. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's so yeah, much. Yeah. Pretty exciting. So I, I love the industry in general and, uh, you know, being in different facets, it's, it's exciting to explore, like specialize in this for a couple of years and then, you know, specialize in this for a couple of years and continue building your network. And it's, it's been a cool journey. Yeah. I'm sure you've experienced the yeah. same. Right? Oh, yeah, throughout. no, totally. I mean, I made sure that, you know, and, and nowadays there's a different number that's associated with it. But I would say, you know, for people listening, it's, you know, when you make $100,000 a year consistently in one realm, then consider adding another realm, whatever that number is for Good you. Point. You know, I mean, for mm-hmm. me, I wouldn't not 100 anymore. But, but, you know, be consistent in that one instead of earning, you know, 30,000 and 40 and 100 here and there and there and there, just be consistent and earn 100,000. And when you've got it really down really well, then add another aspect, another niche into the marketplace. Yeah, um, you know what, I've never heard it put that way. But it's such a good way to put it. Because that really is the proven point of mastery when you have gotten it to where you're netting enough to be six figures, multiple six figures, you've obviously got that pretty dialed, right? You yeah. like you could you can get lucky and like have a big pot, but you know, nothing the rest of the year and you're only gonna make like sixty or eighty grand. But once you're like one fifty, hundred, two hundred, like year after year and it's just like clockwork and things are getting easier and it's taking you less time, that's a good time to be able to now build a team around that and, and, yeah. and, and continue your curiosity and, and yeah, yeah, create another stream of income. Yeah. Right. And, and reinvest and do investing. And like, yeah, I, I like that. That's a really good concept there. Once you hit six figures consistently, then you can shift focus, but until then, then focus. Yeah. focus on Stick that thing. One. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Most people are afraid of niche. You know, they think that it well, if I niche and I won't be able to get business from X, Y, and Z and they ABC, see it as limiting. Right. And I'm going, but you're not getting business from X, Y, and Z and ABC anyway. So why would, you know, niching is the best thing, is the best thing in the world that elevates you to be a professional and an expert. And people think of you more often and it's easier to, to uh, execute, right? So you're not trying to be everything to everybody. It's much easier to execute. You know what the contracts look like, you know, the behavior, you know, what happens, you know, who the players are. Instead you can of actually create to, standard operating procedures, you're not reinventing yes. the wheel every time. <laughs> yeah. Instead of jumping from playground, you know, like you're in a playground, you're jumping from, you know, game to this to that and the other, just stay on the merry-go-round and get it right and figure it out and then move, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That was the first thing I discovered with the marketing agency. Like, oh my gosh, every time I bring on a new client when, while I'm doing everything for everybody, I have to learn their industry, their language, what their oh, customer's pain points made. are. Oh yeah. yeah, exactly. But once I niched real estate, it was like, okay, cool. What works in this person's market also works in this person's market. And we right. could start to build systems and processes. And my onboarding time for a client went down from four weeks to, you know, one week or right. a couple days right. and we're live, right? Like, so yeah. it, yeah, niching is super important. I'm curious, you know, what are one to three books that you would recommend that influenced your life and career? Mm-hmm. So the first one is The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. 
I mean, that's where I learned. And now I am a priority management expert. That's what I do. I have multiple businesses and I can do as much, if not way more than everybody else in the same time frame, because that just was the catalyst, you know, is what I needed at the time in my career. And I just, you know, executed. That's it. It's it's one thing to learn and another thing to execute. And the longer that you have in between, the less likely you are to execute. So I just started executing on that. So Darren Hardy, definitely thinking grow rich, definitely by Napoleon Hill, uh, you know, and, and rich dad, poor dad by my dear friend, Sharon Lecter. She's a friend of mine. Most people think Robert wrote it. Uh, he did not write it. He was just a named author because he had the notoriety. Um, she actually wrote the book. And I think that, you know, anytime that we can move ourselves from the the left side of the quadrant, move ourselves to the right side and be entrepreneurs and have our money working for us while we're sleeping, that's a good thing. So that for me was the vision for what I did, you know, so that helped me with, I can't do these activities that aren't getting me there. Mm. Wow. Very important books in, in in my life as well. I, I love I love that you mentioned Darren Hardy. He's not as yeah. as common with you know the Think and Grow Rich and the Rich Dad Poor Dad in the real estate right, industry. Right. But Darren Hardy was an extremely successful real estate agent in Marin yeah. County, and yeah. and he now lives in Southern California. I've consumed mm-hmm. a good amount of his content. I've taken his insane productivity like twelve module course. Yep, uh, I have he too. had this nice. He had this other one called the Almighty Encounter, which was mm-hmm. great. It was like this hour and a half, very well done, uh, free online training that was incredible. And uh, I used to subscribe to his daily, Darren Daly's. So Darren Daly's. Yeah. I still do. And last year I took his leadership class. It was a whole year long, a wow. whole year long. It was a hero's journey of leadership. And it was just absolutely incredible. Absolutely nice. incredible. Um, it was a big commitment, you know, because every other week we were on the call and we were doing homework and we were testing ourselves. And, uh, you know, it was absolutely the, one of the best things I've taken from him. And I've done lots in same productivity. In fact, we brought um, insane productivity into the mortgage space. We got permission to bring mortgage productivity and to be able to kind of twist some of the the tactics to help mortgage people. And that was probably four or five years ago that we did that. That's awesome. And I'm very curious what your experience was like doing that one-year leadership training through Darren Hardy. Like yeah. if you could boil it down to a few key takeaways, Ooh. obviously yeah. that's hard because it was, you know, as you said, every other yeah, week yeah. for a year, 26 meetings, all these, <laughs> you know, all these amazing insights. But w- were there a couple serious breakthroughs that you made? Oh, yeah. That oh, my gosh. Yeah. And then I and then I just made matters worse and became a facilitator for it, too. So I had <laughs> both pieces. It's sort of like being a quarterback. You can't just show up and play at the game. You have to practice and play and plan and play. You know, it was crazy. Watch game tape. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just crazy. Uh, yeah, I would say, you know, one, uh, the overriding, as you were asking that question, I'm thinking the overriding thing is, Michael Jackson's man in the mirror. If you want to make the world a better place, you got to look at yourself and make a change. I think that was mostly what it was. It was inside perspective of how do we show up? How do we bring ourselves into every situation as a leader? Are Mm. we all about us? Are we just, are we skimming or are we looking at people? Are we looking at body language? Are we looking at uh, just everything, you know, like their, their developmental state and how we need to, you know, interact with them. Should we let them fail or do we pick up the pieces and always do the work? It's, it's like all of that mirroring, um, that would be number one, but the thing that stands out the most, there are a lot of things, but well, I'm going to share two. One is when you look at someone that you admire, you know, and you look at, you know, I don't know, Tony, Rob, well, Tony Robbins, <laughs> 
<laughs> you're like Tony. But if you look at Tony Robbins or you look at Brian Buffini, we can use him right in our industry. I like both those guys. Yeah. Yeah. But when you look at them and, you know, you admire them, look at what their attributes are, the adjectives that ex- explain who they are, and then measure yourself as to whether or not you have those attributes. Mm. Right. And so, and so if you're looking, you're saying, you know, I love his energy. What's your energy? You know, I love that, um, you know, he's vulnerable. Are you vulnerable? Those are all things that, you know, we had to look at and say, okay, who do we admire? And we admire them because of those attributes, but are we actually holding those attributes and what can we do to change that? So that's number one. Number two is that that we are in um, the first time ever, we have five generations working together and the generational leadership. I think was really something that uh, I took to heart because we do have a multitude of generations and they all act differently. We're trying to treat everyone fairly and we can't. There's so much involved in that. And now that's something that I've incorporated in my coaching is helping people to understand that generational leadership and how to communicate with different uh, generations, even down to the, you know, real estate level of looking at a house or talking about money or, uh, you know, talking about the growth of their, their portfolio or, or their personal or professional growth. It all has a different impact. Interesting. Okay. I did consume some training a while back that talked about the difference between communicating in the workplace with a millennial versus a Gen X versus a baby boomer, right? And how, for example, millennials need much more recognition. Short, and very and, quick. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. And would, would easily forego a, you know, like an increase in pay or something for... <laughs> consistent recognition of what they're doing on a on a daily basis and like reaffirmation of hey you're doing a good job right just the right. simple like it's that it's that small whereas yeah. you know a baby boomer like never expects anyone to ever say you did a good job right and, and right. just that but, like those little subtleties yeah they don't expect you to do a good that you did it they're, they, good. they don't expect that you say that but at the end of the year they want the plaque because right. they want to put the plaque in their office, right? Whereas the millennials are saying, hey, you know, can we get back to the community? Right. Yep. So those those subtleties, that's really important yeah. and, and yeah. something interesting to teach on as well. So thank you for yeah, sharing that. I, I, I appreciate it. Um, and I, I would love to dive in a little bit on any failures or apparent failures that have really shaped your success, like set you up for later success. Do you have a, a favorite failure of yours that you like to talk about? <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, because okay. that's, I mentioned it just briefly, but you know, several years ago I was, uh, you know, in the top 1% of loan officers have been in that pretty much all my career, which doesn't say much. I mean, it's like being in the top 80,000 of 800,000 people. Right. But, you know, I was working really dog long hours. And this is, in fact, what I mostly coach on is living a life of luxury. It's not a luxurious life. It's a life of luxury. It's way different. But, you know, I was closing $50 million a year, um, you know, in the top 1%, but I was working crazy hours, just always a wreck around, you know, everything. And, you know, I went to dinner in quotes, you know, with my family, so-called dinner. And we all know how that goes. When the client calls, we get up and start taking the call. And I no longer do that. (laughs) I no longer do it. But I went outside and I walked what I call a concrete balance beam. And it's the curb, right? You're walking the curb, talking back and forth. People are walking in another restaurant. And I happen to look over into the restaurant window and my family was enjoying life, 
right? They were laughing, creating these mm. beautiful memories, having fun together, but I was never, ever in them. I was an ex- I, full of excuses. I'm so sorry I'm late. I'm so sorry I didn't make it to this. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. My client called and I got trapped in my, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I couldn't make it to your baseball game. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I was just sick of it and had enough. And uh, that's when I went and set out on my journey, you know, to create, how can I crack the top producer code? How can I do this in a better way? I only wanted to do 50 million. I just didn't want to work as hard. And when I finally finished coming up with the combination, I looked back and I had done 102 million and Mm. I had done it working four days a week. (laughs) Right. So my biggest failure actually propelled me into all of the success that I've had since then, you know, and being in the top 200 loan officers and funding over a billion dollars. Uh, because I, you know, I had to slow down enough to speed up and and what I was doing and what most people do is they're speeding up and they're slowing down. So if we can just take a step back and, you know, take a, sometimes elevate ourselves up above a hurricane and kind of say, Hey, it's not as bad as the, but when you're in it, it's awful. Right. So when I pulled back, I said, ah, now I know how to do it. And that's when I set out to share with everyone how to do it, because it doesn't matter. I apply all the same tactics. Um, and principles in every one of my businesses. It's not applied just to mortgage lending or real estate. It's applied to everything I do. Interesting. I imagine you had this experience that's like in a lot of movies where the person dies and then they're watching their loved ones kind of like continue life or live life without yeah. them. And you're and like looking through this things. glass, right? <laughs> and you see you yeah. see your family laughing and you're on the phone and you just have this epiphany like, I don't want this. I don't want no. this at all. Right. And it made yeah. the pain so real for you in the moment that it, it forced you to, to want that change, have to strategize, like, how can I do this? Create yeah. some constraints. It seemed like, how can I do this working only four days a week? Right. And, yeah. and then get really creative on, on what that looked like and build some systems. So yeah. I hear, I've heard that you have something coming up in June in Salt Lake City and uh, would love for yeah. you to, to touch on that. Yeah. So it's June uh, 21st through the 24th in Salt Lake City. It's called Cracking the Top Producer Code. It's a three-day workshop. I actually have one a, a bo- sort of a bonus day beforehand. It's called Power Presentation Intensive because I find that a lot of people are afraid to stand in front of others and talk. And I think this is the way that we pique the interest of as many people as we possibly can, right? So we have this extra day, but uh, the event itself is just a three-day event. um, And we go through the principles of cracking the top producer code, the five principles that I was just talking about. Um, and we do a little mindset. We do, we do a little, uh, mechanics, you know, because I believe that the two combined is what creates momentum in people's lives. That was part of what my aha moment was back there at the restaurant was it was all the mechanics. And I felt, you know, and it's, it's typical for us in this industry to wear a shell, right. That says, I don't need help. I'm strong. If I show weakness and then people aren't going to work with me. And so I'll just plug away. And, um, when I realized that I could poke holes in that armor, um, and then the real me was starting to show through. I realized that I needed to work on me just as much as I needed to work on the mechanics of what we do, you know, the daily calls and the networking and the handling the clients and, you know, making bad calls and good calls. And so once I figured that out, uh, that was part of the the strategy that and the strategies that I help with my clients to help them create boundaries and disciplines for themselves um, so that they can get to the mechanics and create that momentum. Mm, powerful. And 
my gosh, that that June event segued perfectly into that whole top producer code that you were talking about. I did, didn't really plan it that way, but that worked out perfectly. I'm yeah. <laughs> I'm really really encouraging all my listeners to consider going to that. That yeah, they want to crack this code, even if you know you're not in the real estate agent or the mortgage loan officer yes. role. You know, yeah, this is business. these are right. These are applicable to business uh-huh. in general. So. Yeah. Hey, is there a question that I should have asked you or anything that you'd like to elaborate on from earlier? Um, well, I want to talk just a quick second about living a life of luxury, if that's okay with you. Um, so do. what I want, yeah, what I want everyone to visualize is the rim of a tire, right? A rim, you have the rim of the car and it's created this beautiful steel, right? And it's super, super strong. And the rim, the rim is great. And what people most of the time do is that they focus on that rim as their business and it's super strong. And then the tire, the rubber on this gets holes in it. It, The tread wears off. It gets flat, right? That being their lives. What I want you to instead, so you you got this picture, right? We got the tire and it's all flat and it's a mess and everything's falling off of it. And this becomes what I think people do when they're trying to reach success is that they think it's all about the rim. It's all about the business. Well, what if we could have that rim be your life? What if the rim could be your lifestyle and what you want in your life? And it's strong. And then you build a four by four, right? A a big four by four tire around it that is ready for any terrain on your way to success. And if you can invert that thought process, you can then live a, lo- a life of luxury. A luxurious lifestyle is having all the things. And that's what happens when you look at the rim as being your business. When you live a life of luxury, you have the, li- the luxury of choosing to put yourself first, right? Because the people that are most attracted to working with me are highly successful entrepreneurs and salespeople that are missing something because they think they arrived financially or accolades or whatever. I was there too, right? They think they've arrived, but something's missing in their lives. And I help people identify that. And I help people change the the, uh, vernacular of how they're looking at their business and their lives. And that's what living a life of luxury is. I have the luxury of working the hours I want to work and then going and playing. And so I believe that if you work on purpose, you can play with passion. If you don't work on purpose, you'll never get the chance to play. Mm. Powerful words. And I appreciate you sharing that. So how can listeners contact you? Yeah, the best way to get a hold of me, if you have, if you want to connect with me, is to text the word mastery to two six seven eight six, or you can text the word Jen, and I'm a one N Jen J E N to two six seven eight six. You can also go to my website jenduplessis.com. That's probably the best way to reach me as well. And I'm always happy to answer questions, um, help people out if this resonated with you. And I know it doesn't resonate with everyone. I just feel that. Uh, it took me 30 years to figure it out. And if I can help someone change their lives in three or four years, um, that makes me all, it's all the joy in the world. Absolutely. Jen Duplessis, everyone. I mean, the greatest coaches talk about, you know, if you can shortcut someone else's success, if you can take decades and turn it into days or weeks or even years, decades yeah. into years, right? Wouldn't you invest in yourself to accomplish that? to, to yeah. go live that life that you have always dreamed of and you haven't given yourself permission to go live. So really appreciate having Jen on the podcast. You added tremendous value and I encourage my listeners to go learn more. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you for listening. 
you want to accomplish your real estate goals, then I highly suggest downloading my free Ultimate Real Estate Goal Setting Framework. The link is in the description of the show and it will help you break down your annual income goal into the amount of phone calls, appointments, or open houses you need in order to achieve that goal. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.